Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. Josh Parker was selling maple syrup at the age of 15. His life story is next. First, let's have a chat about one of our founding fathers, John Adams, and the coffee that's named in his honor over at AmericanPrideRoastersCoffee.com. See, John Adams was such a complex person as vice president and president of the United States. He was often a man without a party. His hostile stubbornness and constant efforts toward cultivating the image of a beloved lifetime civil servant at times made him some enemies among his supporters and helped fuel the perception that Adams wanted to be a king. The Alien and Sedition Acts, which made immigration to America more difficult and made certain writings against the federal government a crime, did not help Adams' image among his critics. And despite being accused of kingly aspirations, never once did Adams act on those supposed tendencies. Well, how about a kingly coffee named after him? From the folks at American Pride Roasters Coffee, uh, this coffee is just enough to make you feel like you've stacked your cup, not your court, with flavor. <laughs> Hold on. No, I'm not done. Don't worry. There's nothing seditious about the taste of the John Adams blend. Feel free to share a cup of this amazing coffee with any fine American friend. Head over to aprcoffee.com. Use promo code ATM. Get yourself 10% off your entire order. That's aprcoffee.com. Promo code ATM. Cheesy puns are free, by the way. You're welcome. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Josh Parker is my guest on this week's edition of At The Mic. Josh is in his early 20s. He's already started and sold a business that had connections to Walmart and Costco. He's pursuing other ventures as well. The young man never rests. He's now married, uh, is a young father, already has a story to tell. And this week on At The Mic, he tells us that story. So let's get to it with Josh Parker on this week's edition of At The Mic. Here with my guest today, Josh Parker. If that name sounds familiar, it's probably because you've tried, and if you're like me, absolutely enjoyed Parker Maple Syrup. What's up, Josh? Thanks for coming to town, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So we've got a lot of ground to cover. Because I guess what year was it that you were on Glenn Beck's radio show? And at the time, I worked with that team over there. And yeah. I remember you coming to New York City yeah, in yeah. Manhattan. Yeah. And we were like, this young kid is awesome. <laughs> and you've got a lot of news to report, not only in a professional sense, but uh, as far as your family and, and all sorts of good stuff that's happened to you. When was that? It's 2015. 2015. 2015. Okay. A lot has happened in your life since then. Why don't we start... At the beginning of your life. We'll work our way up here. Yeah. So you were born in New York State. Whereabouts? Yes. Uh, way upstate. So I was uh, way up on the Canadian border, about an hour south of Ottawa. Um, so just as far north as you can get in New York State. So it's not even close to being like New York City up there. It's a, it's two different worlds. It's really two different worlds. I mean, even if you look at the electoral map, it's like everything's red. <laughs> and then you have three cities of blue, you know? Right, so, right. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a totally different world farms and uh right outside the adirondack mountains and so it's uh it's beautiful so you were born and raised up there you spent your entire childhood in the upstate yeah, yeah i grew up in just a regular middle class family in upstate new york 
Um, I had a couple of sisters, two older sisters, and then my parents got divorced when I was young, so had a, um, have a younger brother and a younger sister as well, um, and went to public school up there, went to, you know, just kind of had a, a pretty normal childhood in, mm-hmm. in a rural part of New York. And being born and raised up there, you're probably a big fan of winter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. gotta be, right? Yeah, I always say we have two seasons, uh, winter and 4th of July, so, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. That is well said. Okay, so as a kid, did you have any idea what you wanted to do professionally? Like, man, when I become an adult, I'm going to do blank. Because if I'm not mistaken, and I'm just trying to remember from when we first met you six or so years ago, you weren't introduced to the maple syrup world until much later, correct? Later, yeah. Later in my life, yeah. So I... You know, growing up, my dad had a small business. Um, so both my parents did. When they were married, they had a my dad had a, a kind of a construction company where he was painting the lines on parking lots and doing some paving and light asphalt sort of things. Um, my mom and him had started a restaurant together. They had a coffee shop. My dad's really into music, so he had a music store. And so they had all these businesses. When I was wow. like, you know, when I was like, uh, they got divorced when I was four, almost five. Um, and when they got divorced, it was a pretty bad divorce in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. so. Every business, except for the parking lot business, went out of business oh during divorce. My. Yeah, so all of them went out of business, um, and so I saw that, you know. And I, even the parking lot business went into reorganizational bankruptcy at that time. I mean, it was like it was a pretty dire situation. Um, and so out of that, my dad continued to grow. He got a big, you know, anchor customer just by the grace of God. Mm. Close after that, that really began to make his business grow. Um, but my mom went a totally different path. She went back to school. Um, she became a guidance counselor at a local public high school that has like 20 to 30 kids per grade. Um, so, you know, just a totally different path. So I got to kind of see it in the beginning of what it was like, the worst parts of owning your own business and how hard that is on a family and a marriage and everything else. Um, and then I got to see my parents take very different paths. Hmm. And, um, you know, even through all those trials, I still knew that I liked my dad's path more than my mom's path. You know, my dad, if he was if money was tight or if whatever, he could lean into it and go work the weekend, take another job on, go do the, you know, whatever he wanted to do and make a couple extra bucks to get the family ahead or get us to where we needed to be. My mom, working at a state job at a state school, what are you going to do? You know, there's nothing more you can do. Your salary is your salary. And, you know, you could go get a second job, but Mm -hmm. that was just a different world. And so I really, I liked the fact that my dad could have a greater impact on a day-to-day basis on his career and his livelihood and his family than my mom could. Um, and so I, yeah, so when I was young, I, I definitely, I, I thought that I wanted to go into business in some way. And then, you know, that kind of evolved into Parker Maple by the time I was 15. It's no surprise hearing you talk this way about your dad specifically. Yeah. Like you list him as having had the biggest impact on your life. Yeah, yes. Um, you've touched on it somewhat there yeah tell us a little bit more about the impact that he had was it um, pretty much in a business sense or even beyond that yeah it was beyond that of course he was um, spent a lot of time with him uh, throughout my childhood going to job sites and seeing that kind of world that he was living in Um, and my dad is a old school guy I mean he is like from a generation of like his dad was also a very tough guy, grew up, his family never had a car, um, deep poverty, and uh, and so my dad is tough, he's built a construction business, 
but he also is soft and kind, you know. And so I learned a lot of both of those things when I when I started Park Maple. He was the one that supported me through that. Oh, wow. Every step of the way was you know there with me through it to make sure that make sure that there were tons of ups and tons of downs. <laughs> I and bet. he was there on both sides of those. So I uh, can't yeah. imagine that must it must be the most terrifying yet the most thrilling feeling in the world to own a small business huh yeah yeah I, I think it is i think i think people this is why people sort of get addicted in a way to having it um but you know i've i felt both sides of that coin you know like the the freedom and the exciting and the like what i was describing with my dad being able to lean into his business and grow it and have an impact on a day-to-day basis in that way on his finances his family and all that that's like an amazing side but on the flip side of that is is that it's all so fickle, you know? So it, it feels at times like it's sand in your fingers, mm-hmm. you know? And you're trying to hold it all together and you can't quite keep it, you know? And so there are days where it feels like total disenchantment with everything to do with owning a small business and you wish you just had a paycheck, you know? Right. Um, and so, you know, you feel both of those things. But I would say by and large, my experience with it is is that I still... I'm excited and happy that I chose this path and I've gotten very lucky. Um, but there have definitely, you know, so it's been, it's been good for me, but I understand how it's also an extremely challenging path. I've heard people say that it's like getting punched in the face every single day. You kind of have to be able to endure that. So all this being said, you just now have turned 24 years old. Yeah, that's right. Yep. You started Parker Maple when you were 15? 15. So how did that start? How did that whole dream of owning, which by the way, I will say, I can remember when I first saw Parker Maple at Walmart. Yeah, and I remember that. And yep. I texted you a picture like, yeah. <laughs> bro, how awesome is this? Yes, yeah. So, um, I mean, that's got to feel cool when, no, it when, is, when yeah. you make it to that point. But but obviously, you didn't turn 15, start Parker Maple, and within you know a few weeks, ta-da, I'm nationwide. Yeah. Walk us through how you got into it yeah. and um, how the business uh, took off from there. Yeah, so upstate New York, a lot of maple syrup made in upstate New York. It's actually, people think of Vermont and Canada when they think of maple syrup, yeah. but you know, New York State is actually the second largest producing state in, this, in the United States, mm. dwarfed by Canada, but still a big producer. I mean, let's, yeah. be, let's be fair here. Yeah. They put a maple leaf on their flag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. who you're competing and with. And they you. have a strategic reserve of maple syrup. Which we that can, is you know. right. I recently <laughs> yeah. read that yeah, and I'd can. forgotten until you just yeah. said that. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the most amazing thing. Doesn't that Thank God. I mean, what would we do without it? You doesn't know? that sum up Canada yeah. in a nutshell? The difference between Canada and the United States is Canada has a national reserve of maple syrup. Yeah. The United States has a national reserve of oil. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, so I uh, grew up in upstate New York. Lots of maple syrup made there. Um, my family never made it. Um, but when I was 11, I went on a school field trip. They showed us how to make the syrup. Um, I was just fascinated with the fact that you could go out into your yard, tap the trees in your what? yard. And a lot of people don't know that the sap that you're collecting from those trees, it's only 2% sugar. So if you were to taste it, you probably, unless I told you it was sap, you wouldn't even taste any sweetness. You would just oh, think wow. it's it's just you know uh, regular water. And so you, you take the sap, you boil it down. It takes about 40 gallons of the sap to make one gallon of syrup. Um, and so it's a lot of boiling. Uh, and you know you just 
I just was fascinated with this idea that I could go tap the trees, boil the syrup, and bring it to family breakfasts or whatever, you know, sell it to friends or whatever it was. And so I did that. I tapped the trees in my front yard. I boiled up my mom's stove. The next year I made a little bit more and a little bit more. And when I was 15, I was like, you know, this is something I really look forward to each year. This is something I love. I've started kind of selling a couple gallons here and there. I think if I could make more syrup, I can sell more syrup. And, uh, and so I went to my dad and I was like, dad, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm, I'm going to do. Um, and he was like, well, if a uh, couple of things, one, if you're going to do this, you're not going to college Two, <laughs> if, um, you can get a plan together and convince the bank to give you a loan, a small loan, I'll co-sign on that loan. And, uh, and so I spent my study halls, uh, in ninth grade calling manufacturers of equipment and calling all these people and going and seeing different sugar houses and doing this whole thing. And I got this plan together of what it would cost to buy the equipment and to kind of get started. And I talked to my neighbor who had, uh, he had like 50 acres of maple trees. So I I rented his maple trees uh, for a dollar a tap per year. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rented his maple trees and uh, got it all together, went to the bank. The bank said, well, if your dad's crazy enough to do it, we'll do it. And and so ended up getting a small loan, getting the equipment I needed. Um, Went from making 15 gallons of syrup to making a couple thousand. Uh, That would have been 2014. And, uh, and then from there, I just, you know, it could have been a seasonal business. It could have just been, I check in in the beginning of January and check out at the, you know, beginning of May. That's kind of the maple season okay. when maple syrup's made. And I could have just put it in barrels and sold it into the bulk market to someone else who was going to put it in bottles. But I didn't want it to be that way. I wanted to make a real business out of Good, it and yeah. really grow it, you know. And so I was fortunate that year I had an interview on Fox News and that kind of started to get me rolling. And then I started to get into some more stores and then started to grow the brand. And then, a he- I'm, see, I mean, without a doubt, one of the biggest turning points in Parker Maple and my life was going on Glenn Beck's show in 2015. I remember yeah, somebody yeah. sent me the video of the Fox News interview. Yeah. I put that in front of Glenn, and Glenn wanted to have you on. Wow. You came to Manhattan. Yes. And um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. and you would know better than anyone, yeah. it feels like during the interview with Glenn, almost like Glenn convinced you to not go to college, right? Yeah. Like, in other words, your dad yeah. had already said, yeah. you're not going to college. Exactly, yeah. But it was almost like you were still kind of one foot in, I was, one yeah. foot out. Okay. I was, yeah. He was. No, Glenn was like, <laughs> why would you go to college? Exactly. And I ended up, I did go to college for, I, I ended up getting a scholarship, so it was a little bit of a different scenario, like, uh-huh. situation. Sure. But like I did, and I went to a local college for one semester and uh, and then and then left. Uh, and I think that was probably the best decision I ever could have made. That is so, that is so cool. But Parker Maple... Give us the development on that, um, because recently your connection to it has changed significantly. Yeah, yeah no, it has. Yeah, no, definitely. So that kind of what I was just telling you led us up to starting Parker Maple, you know, beginning to sell to some customers. But um, the next kind of big turning point for the company was I rebranded it, new logo, new everything, um, which was a huge step. And then, and then immediately after that, I got super lucky and got onto the show Shark Tank. And when I got into the show Shark Tank, that just began to catapult the brand forward. We got 6,000 orders the first night that I was on the show. Um, had, at that point, a great customer base. You know, I wouldn't say that it got me into stores, but it definitely got me meetings with buyers who were more accepting of the product. And all of a sudden, we got into thousands of stores across the country and um, began to grow. And it was like, in that moment, I thought that growth was never going to stop. I thought we were going to the moon, and it was it was just a one-way one-way ticket you know um and what ended up happening was for about a year or so that was the case it grew exponentially we moved into a beautiful fifteen thousand square foot facility 
We had a couple dozen employees uh, starting to hire not just like working class guys to help with production, but starting to hire like real experienced CPG folks. And then everything began to get more challenging. You know, like all that growth started to constrict cash flow. And I went out to raise some money and it didn't go as I planned. And there were all of these challenges. And I was selling to Costco at the time and Costco ended up not paying us for some of the product that we shipped. And there was major problems that happened in this 2018 year. And I will tell you, this not very many people know this, I met with a bankruptcy attorney that year because I thought the company was going to go bankrupt. And uh, it was awful. I mean, I... This has... I mean, this, yeah. You mentioned the Costco situation. And, and that was actually... I was going to have a follow-up question and mm-hmm. you just basically spelled it out for me. You know, you weren't paid. I, I was sitting here thinking... You know, when you run a small business, are you not effectively now? Because people look at small business owners or business owners and just yeah. say, "Look at you! You're controlling your own destiny." That's really not the case. Yeah. Because aren't you actually dependent on so many other people and other yeah. companies for coming through? And then you said the Costco thing. And I thought exactly. Yes. You're having to depend on yes. other people, and yeah. so you're really not as independent as, in theory, you feel like it. Right? No, it's a well, yeah. Definitely. You, if a customer doesn't pay you or if you don't, yeah. what I mean, if you don't do something that you think you're going to do, which depends on other people helping you do that, uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a it's scary a, it's thing. A, it's, yeah. it's, it's really, ironically enough, it's almost like, for lack of a better way to put this, you're kind of a cog in, in the machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not independently yeah. off to the side. Yes, Look yeah. at me. I'm, I'm, I'm an independent business yes. owner. Yes, yeah. Instead, there's a bunch of gears and yes. if one of them gets hung up somewhere yes. along the line, then it messes you up. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah, And that's the feeling of having sand in your fingers. I can't, yeah. nothing else, I think, portrays that feeling more than that, where you just feel like you have it now. I have the Costco relationship. I have the Shark Tank mm-hmm. thing. I have the whatever it is, and you're just watching the sand. And then you have something lucky happen, and all of a sudden you have a bigger sand heap in your hands, and you feel a little bit more confident. But still, it's always that feeling of when is the, when is the sand going to fall out of my fingers? Man. Yeah. Okay. So the trouble is back in 2018. 2018. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So then, then what happens with, because uh, you end up selling the company, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we, I stuck with it that summer. Really challenging summer, personally and professionally. Obviously, the business was in a really tough spot. I was, I had to get lawyers involved, had to figure out how to kind of navigate this whole situation. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, you have to, I mean, I was 15 when I started Parker's Maple. I had went on national news. I had went on Shark Tank. I was, you know, been featured in local newspapers and all of these things, which, you know, in retrospect, not all that big of a deal. But, like, to me, it was sure my identity. You know, my identity was truly wrapped up in Parker's Maple, which isn't healthy. And I would never, I would always try to never do that again with anything else, but um, but, but now, if, now you're 20 years old dealing yeah. with bankruptcy stuff, huh? Exactly. Yeah. So I was, and yeah, exactly. And the, the, yeah, the problem was, is it's just, it, my identity was wrapped up in it. And I, I truly felt like if Parker Maple dies, does Josh Parker die? Not, you know, not like in a morbid you. sense, but really you. like, you know, what, what happens? Um, and so it was, it was kind of a summer of mourning and being really scared and, yeah. um, and, and then, we ended up getting through it. You know, we, at the fall, my goal at that point was to, was to get it back to being profitable so I could 
generate cash flows to keep us going. And by the fall, I was generating cash flow again, mm. profitable. Um, and then the next January, got into Walmart. And again, another little step up. Right, you know? and, right. It's a roller coaster. Uh, huh? It's a roller coaster. And so did, we got into 3,000 Walmarts and it just began to cool. roll us forward. That is so cool, yeah. man. Uh, which, by the way, the, the cotton candy... I mean, that's that's still available out there, yes? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, okay, of course, right. yeah. So are you still connected to the company then? Like, how, how did it yeah. come about that you yeah. sold? Did Sorry, I'm being a little you? long-winded on all Not the, at all. The, not uh, at all. I just don't Trials know. and tribulations, yeah. No, I just so. don't know the, the order to ask all these questions. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, yeah, no, so I uh, so uh, got into Walmart, got the company growing again. Uh, we got very lucky in a lot of ways um, and ended up in in January of 2020, right before COVID, uh, began talking to a company who was a, a larger maple syrup company based in upstate New York. Um, I had talked to them a couple of years earlier about them potentially wanting to buy the buy the company because I they were so they were buying a bunch of land, like they bought 10,000 acres of land and built two state of the art facilities: one in the Adirondack Mountains of New York and one in Vermont. And in order to get in maple. order to make a lot of maple syrup, uh-huh. exactly, yeah. And so that was their whole thing. And they had actually not sold very much of their syrup that they had been making for years, wow. um, because they just were warehousing it all and expecting that some point in the future they would get enough distribution to sell it at a you know a higher price, or maybe than a just national bulk. contract from the country of Canada. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so they were they were doing this, and they had built out kind of that whole supply side of the business, um, and I had built out more of the demand side of the business, and. Uh, and so it was a perfect relationship, mm. um, and we started talking in the beginning of January. Got really nervous in the middle of COVID. As I was just about every, to say, when yeah. did the ink finally dry? <laughs> yeah, it was like May 20th oh of, of uh, 2020. So we, we got through all the COVID stuff, <laughs> and I think, you know, in a way, actually, it was funny. I think COVID scared everybody for a second, and then it made them think, oh, wow. We got to really, you know, like, mm-hmm. this is, we got to really do this. And so I think, in a way, it actually helped me, but... Um, Definitely scary. Ended up selling the business in, in May of, of or selling the brand in May of twenty uh, twenty, and uh, I've I was I'm still extremely involved in it. Okay, doing a lot of you know like the brand stuff, the sales stuff. Um, nice to work off someone else's balance sheet, not your own. Right. So yeah, so that's gotta uh, feel good. Yeah. What was it you told uh, Glenn Beck when you were on his show back in twenty fifteen? A uh, very uh, <laughs> prophetic statement. I love it. What yeah, yeah. It? He t- he he said to me. He t- asked me if I wanted to um wanted to be like the. I can't remember his exact words, but it was something like, "Do you want to be the the Aunt Jemima? Put Aunt Jemima out of business, basically." And uh, and a couple years later, that came true. You know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Good laughs> I don't know. I you know when I read the article that they were yeah. putting away Aunt Jemima, I thought yeah. they they must have met Parker Maples. So. Right, right. You can't find. Uh, let's just put it this way. You can't find a bottle of Aunt Jemima on the shelves anymore, but you can still find That's right. Yeah. Parker Maple. So that tells you something, yeah. I think. Okay. That is so cool, man. Um, all right. So obviously, incredible changes in your life on a business front. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, as a young man, you have gotten married. You've yeah. had two kids. You have two boys, right? Yes. I love that. Yeah. Um, so... Where did you guys meet? Yeah, Allie's my wife. We got married just over five years ago. Wow! And uh, so it's—I think I've spent—I think it's like tw- almost twenty-five percent of my life with her at this point. So that's pretty well. Considering twenty yeah, percent of my life, yeah. How how you've been focused on the maple syrup business? Is that where y'all met? Some, somewhere connected to that? Yeah, she was. So she was working on the Ted Cruz campaign um, in twenty sixteen, 
And she was, I think oh. the story is along the lines of there were like 21 interns uh, that were working in Houston at the headquarters. And uh, she was one of two that got kept as a full-time staffer. And so she was running coalitions like Millennials for Cruise um, back then. And uh, anyway, so we met at CPAC, actually. We oh, met at CPAC, wow. Yeah, in 2016. Oh, cool. and, uh, and then we just stayed in touch and started dating and then ended up getting married and having our first son, Rhett. Oh, and, wow. uh, and so now he's four. And we have, uh, um, and then we had a second son named Rory, and he's two. He just turned two. Well, congratulations to you both. Yeah. Um, young parents, and how is how's fatherhood? It's amazing. It's <laughs> uh, it's tiring, I'd say, but it's cool to. It's sort of like um, it's a more important version of building a business. You know, mm. it's like you're forming the clay every day, and the more intentional and the more work you put into it, the better things turn out. So it's been great. At their young age, they are forming their earliest memories in yeah. this world. Your earliest memory. I'm pretty sure it was 9-11, right? Yeah. Wow, yeah. man. How old? What year were you born? I don't, 1998. So okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you just remember seeing it on TV? Or, yeah, and, I yeah. just I can just distinctly remember seeing uh, my dad. We were in the living room, and my dad was. Uh, my dad called my mom into the living room, and I can just. I think just like everybody, I can still see the perfectly blue sky right. with the smoke, and. Uh, the imagery yeah. from that yeah. day, the contrast of the sky yeah. with the horror that was happening, yeah. yes. it, it, the dichotomy is so intense. But uh, yeah. that's it. I've never talked to someone whose first memory was 9-11, yes. and that's, um, that's fascinating. You, you'll be uh, recounting that for the rest of your life. Yes, you know? yeah. Okay, so I've got to ask you about the family dog. <laughs> um, and I, you know what? I, didn't, I need to Google image this uh, while we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell us what a Bernadoodle is, because I've never read that word in my life. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> dog. Recommended to everybody. Uh, and what is it a combination uh, of? A poodle a, and it's what? It's a poodle and a Bernese Mountain Dog. Uh, which is a great combination. Is that, I have to tell is you. that a good representation? Yeah, is, that's I like found a here? decent representation, I'd say. Bernadoodle. Yours is cuter. Yeah, cuter for sure. But, um, no, I, it's great. It's a great dog. Uh, we just got her. Her name's Harbor. It's actually named after uh, we met in National Harbor, which is where CPAC was. Uh, that's where Allie got the name. Oh, I anyway, like it. I yeah, like it a lot. Yeah. I love creative dog names, first of all. But I love it when there's a background, you know, you're yeah. like, for example, your, your dog's background name is a lot better than mine. I named it after <laughs> uh, a bad Atlanta Braves manager from when I was a kid, but you see what I mean? Like yours is a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know if it is or not, but it's okay. Yeah. So I love that. Um, that, that is, yeah. You guys got this connection, you know, to yeah. National Harbor. Yeah. We, uh, so we got the dog in July. So she's still a puppy chewing everything. <laughs> gotta break that like because yeah. because my dog tanner he um by the way chuck tanner uh look him up <laughs> not not the best braves coach you gotta break that because like tanner tried to dig under our fence he t we had just ironically enough when we got him we had just recently planted just a bunch of trees around the yard little twigs from yeah. you get it from the arbor day foundation right, yes, yeah, right? you yeah. just return a, a a thing in the mail maybe five bucks and they send you all these saplings and yeah and and he made them as chew toys uh, he would try to herd the kids and knock down our, uh, I guess she was probably three or four at the time, yes, our youngest. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but once you uh, take that spirit and channel it to do good, then, then they become yeah. the greatest thing. So, uh, yeah, the kids love her. They, they, they love her. Allie loves her. Allie grew up good. with being very close to dogs. She actually showed dogs in high school, which is very, you know, not very many people have done that. And, no, no. And it does not really meet her. Like, it's not, you wouldn't meet her and be like, oh, yeah, she showed dogs. <laughs> she just like, 
it's sort of out of line with who she is, but any, but she did it. So. And this is a hypoallergenic dog, right? Hypoallergenic. How, I do, they, bad how do they do that? How do they make it so that, that, that people that want to own dogs aren't sneezing their heads off all the time? Because that's your situation. Yeah. It, right? Yeah. No. How, how do they breed that in? It's because I think poodles, poodles are hypoallergenic. So uh, they don't shed. They don't have, aller- I, I don't know exactly what yeah. the thing is, but it's the poodle side of it is what makes it hypoallergenic. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So anytime I see a, a something doodle, a golden doodle. Uh, it was the big reason why they breed them with poodles is because I they don't no shed. I had no idea. Yeah. Yes. So if you brush the dog, yeah, you, you, it comes they, out, yeah. but it doesn't generally shed. That is incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. I, yeah. I, I never <laughs> thought of that. Yeah, it's great. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I love it when I learn something that just blows my mind. You <laughs> yeah. Know? yeah. Okay. So let's see here. I ask under the category, do you have any hobbies? Um, let's talk about skiing first. You grew up in upstate of New York. You, at some point, thought maybe I'll just be a professional skier? Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not really. No? Okay. Um, no, I just, I never, you know, you'd think that with with nine months of winter, you would learn how to ski as a kid, but I never did. I skated. I did different winter activities, but oh, I never really? skied. Yeah, I never skied my whole life. And... Uh, um, Neither of my parents, they skied when they were younger, but neither of them skied huh. later in life. And so anyway, I just never skied. And uh, and then last year, I skied for the first time, and it was amazing. I thought it was so cool. And uh, I was decent at it, so I kept going. And uh, living near the Adirondacks means that I can ski at Whiteface Mountain, which is where the 1980 Olympics, like, oh, okay. you know, so Lake Placid is where, yeah. you know, American hockey team beat mm-hmm. the Soviets in 1980. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, so they have an amazing mountain there, skiing there. Uh, skiing in Vermont. I'm going to ski in Vermont this year for the first time. Mm. Definitely going to ski somewhere Would you else say your this year. Skill is really good at it, or you not super good? Gen- but okay. I'm, I'm. I think I'm, I've skated my whole life, so I think those two skills are pretty similar. And uh, and so I'm, I have good balance yeah. on the skis, and I can I can do it pretty well. I I'm I have to tell you the face of white face. I don't know. You have to. It's maybe it's less of a fear of my skills and more of a fear of heights or something because mm. those people go off the thing, right? And they just go. Whew, down and i can't okay i can't quite do it that. sounds like you and i yeah. would be of a similar mindset like yeah. i like the rush of going fast down the yes. hill but i need to be in control yes. i want to go too fast and exactly. i sure as heck don't want to be next to a guy that's yes. racing his buddy down the mountain yes yes so you started to say you were going out west uh, where whereabouts because i have a place in mind that i think is the perfect it, it, I know it's the yeah. perfect speed for me. It might be for you. Where you? I, I would love to know what it is because I am. Um, I, I don't know yet. I want to. I think. I, I mean, everybody skis in Colorado, so at some yeah. point I'll make it to Colorado. Um, I kind of want to go to Big Sky, Montana, just because cool. I think Big Sky's cool. Uh-huh. Um, and then the other one though that's a little different is I want to go to Blackcomb in British Columbia, which is just an hour north of Vancouver. Okay. Because it's a little different for me. I can take a direct flight from Montreal. Montreal's mm. like an hour and a half for me, so I can okay. take a direct flight from Montreal to Vancouver and uh and go to it and i was i was reading that blackcomb is actually voted on some lists higher than the alps in europe in terms of quality of skiing boy that sounds dangerous yeah though. so i'm a little uh-huh. I mean, i'm sure they have a lot of variation well but anyway those are the ones okay all right of. that's yeah. cool no because yeah. see i grew up in the south i grew up in atlanta yeah and we would always uh take a ski trip uh like the school would take a ski trip to North Carolina, which anybody listening right now skiing in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, it was it was very interesting because you would you would be skiing, and you would look over not thirty yards to your left, and there's just nothing but grass. Wow. You know, so they would yeah. generate the snow, and you know it was fun and all that good stuff. 
And then as an adult, I went skiing in Bogus Basin, Idaho. Yeah. It's just north of Boise. Boise's a great town. Yeah. And if you have some time, you might want to explore that area there. But I just remember, and this has been, my gosh, does time fly? This has been almost 20 years now. And that, in fact, that may have been the last time I've been skiing. I just remember it was the perfect speed. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. gentle, but it was fast. It was exhilarating enough without being dangerous. Interesting. Yeah, good to know. I'd love to yeah. ski it. I'd love to ski everywhere. But I would ski as many places as I can. At the same time, I would never dissuade anybody from visiting the state of Montana, which yeah. is recently uh, we took a trip um, to Montana. It was in the summer. Oh, wow. But Montana is now my favorite state by far. Yeah, I've never been. so beautiful. Never been. I, I had I no idea what I had go. been missing yes, on yeah. the first four plus decades of my life. you yeah. got to get to Montana. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, I tell you. Yeah, so another hobby of yours. Theology. Yeah. Uh, explain, because I have never heard of someone being a member of a faith, Yeah. leaving that faith, then returning to that faith. Yeah. And that is your case with Catholicism, right? Yeah, it is. It is. I, I think actually, um, if I remember correctly... Maybe like Michael Knowles. I think Michael Knowles, same sort of thing happened to him. He oh, okay. left Catholicism huh. and reverted to the church. Okay. Um, so there are more reverts than you would imagine. Yeah. Uh, okay. You never really know that. Um, yeah. So I, I grew up kind of nominally Catholic in the Northeast. Uh, people don't really talk about religion. It's sort of my mom forced us to go to Sunday school and go to church. And mm-hmm. It was hated. I, I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't anything sure. um, that was a, a really big part of my life. But um, interestingly enough, my dad... While my mom forced us to go to church, and I thank her for that, I also thank my dad because he didn't go to church, but he was definitely more spiritual and in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so I experienced both of those gotcha. kind of things. Yeah. He, would, he would watch like evangelical pastors on YouTube and TV and stuff. And so, you know, I experienced both of those things. And by the time I was in seventh or eighth grade, I was in confirmation, which is the final sacrament of the Catholic Church. And I hate it. Like, I, if I could have not finished it, I wouldn't have finished it. My mom made me finish it. And so <laughs> I was more just agnostic about the whole thing than anything. I thought I believed in God, but I didn't really know what it was. And then I got into high school, and I was kind of known as more— I definitely was known as the guy who was conservative and free markets and probably the <laughs> only real, like, quote-unquote Republican in my high school that was, like, really vocal. And uh, and so then what happened was— is of course, I was on the side of talking in English class and history class and politics about politics with people who didn't believe in God and were also on the other side of the fence of politically from me. And so it was, I was like, okay, these people that I'm, I don't agree with politically also don't believe in God. Where do I stand on the God issue? And so I began to kind of think about it more. Um, and that's when I actually, I went really hard into thinking the Catholicism of my youth, of my younger, you know, childhood was not the real way of Christianity and not anything like that. Um, and, and went very much along my dad's path of evangelical pastors and kind of like became evangelical, I guess mm. I'd say. Um, and that's where I, I learned it. But at the same time, I was still kind of going to mass every so often because that's what I, mm. I knew. And, uh, and then when I was 17, I, I had this, feeling of like, you know, if I was going to um, serve God and if God, if God's real, then I ought to give my whole life to him. And the only way that I knew that was to, or the most extreme way that I knew how to do that was to become a Catholic priest. And I considered, I went to a priest discernment camp 
I like really discerned the priesthood for a little while. Wow. And it was more along the lines of, I want to give my life to God. It wasn't yeah. the reason why, the biggest reason why I never did it was because I could never get convinced that I should be Catholic instead of evangelical. Um, yeah. And then when I got into, I got into um, pretty involved in Republican politics, like my last year of high school and um, and a couple of years after. And that whole world is evangelical. So I just fell more and more into evangelical. And, uh, and then Allie was uh, evangelical. And so... We actually got married by a non-denominational pastor, which, you know, if anyone knows anything about the Catholic Church, it's it's not even a marriage to get married outside of the Catholic Church. Um, so, you know, that was how far along I was. And then I met this guy. Uh, at a, I was speaking at a conference in Atlanta, actually, and I met this guy who had grown up in a very charismatic uh, evangelical family. His mom had actually been Catholic and had converted, and um, he had been discerning at that point for like four or five years where he, what walk of faith he was going to take and uh, had went from kind of being, you know, evangelical growing up to agnostic to um, really evangelical again, got married and, and all that. And then I, I say this, of course, he, I'm sure he prayed his way in too, but he thought his way in, um, in this really interesting way into becoming after four or five years of talking to some of the brightest and best people, um, ended up becoming Catholic. And I was like, it blew my mind. Sorry, mm -hmm. this is a really long-winded response. No, but no, no. This is, it blew my mind that somebody could, I had only met people who, smart people, who had went from Catholic to evangelical. I had never met anyone who had thought their way into the Catholic Church. And so that like blew my mind that that was the case. Um, and it just set off this kind of journey for me of, of reading, I think I read probably 50 or more books over the next, uh, over the next two years. And, um, and uh, ended up in 2018 coming back into oh, wow. the Catholic Church. And actually, Allie, my wife, on totally on her own, decided that she wanted to become Catholic as well. And so now we're huh. whole family's Catholic well, and a bunch of out. kids. You know? Okay, very cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. How many kids are you going to end up having, do you think? I mean, at least a dozen. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're off to a good start. Yeah. Off to a good two. start, that's yeah. Good. That's good. Okay, I got to know how a kid from the upstate of New York lists texas country music as his favorite musical genre I, uh, for real definitely it's uh -huh. funny you know Allie, my wife is from texas mm -hmm. and uh and so she <laughs> always thought like she was shocked the first time that she visited new york and there were people wearing flannels and listening to country music and uh it's uh yeah people it's it's just like uh -huh. it's sort of just like here in a way you okay. know in upstate all right there's a portion of it that is of course all right that's cool a lot of rednecks and yeah. i love it yeah i love it that's really cool <laughs> Uh, okay. The last book you read was Snowball. It's about Warren Buffett? Yeah, his biography. Okay. Uh, is that pretty good? It's great. Wow. 700 pages long book, but it was a huh. great book. Really good. I, and, you know, and even though I've read a lot of business books and I think about these things quite a bit, I didn't know anything about Berkshire Hathaway or Warren Buffett before this. And, uh, and so I'd started to, I'd gotten exposed to him somehow. And then I was like, oh, like, I'll, uh -huh. I'll read that. And I ordered it much larger than I thought it was going to be. Uh -oh. and, uh, but then I started to read it, and I, I liked it enough Good that stuff, I ended huh? up finishing it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, because you know, through my wife's family, we get to Omaha, Nebraska oh, all the time. Love to go. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another city that's, that's just that's rapidly grown oh, really? um, over the years. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you everything you need to know about uh, either uh, Atlanta, Omaha, or Boise, mm -hmm. you know. But um, I ate at the steakhouse that, that he really loves there. Hmm. I mean, it's good. It's not like, you know, because <laughs> what I want to tell you is while you're here in Texas, 
it's totally worth I've told people this before because they're staying in Dallas, whatever. I'll say, look, eat a really big breakfast, then start driving from here to Amarillo. By the time you get there, it'll be time for dinner, yeah. right? And then you're going to have the steakhouse. It's called uh, the Big Texan. Okay. And it's in uh, Amarillo. Do you remember the movie The Great Outdoors, John Candy? No. Okay. So there's a scene in there where he eats this 96-ounce steak, I believe it is. Wow. And if you eat the whole thing, then they give you your meal for free. And you have to eat it in an hour. Wow. And they, they give you everything. You have to eat the, the potato and the salad and all sorts of stuff. But it sounds like a touristy niche yeah. thing, which it is with yeah. the giant, you know, big Texan out front. And they give you a souvenir cup. But I'm telling you, it is the greatest steak ever. And I don't know how I can take you talking about a book uh, about the life of Warren Buffett and turn <laughs> yeah. it into a, you got to get to yeah. Amarillo for steak. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. I would just highly recommend the big Texan up in Amarillo. But recently I read an article about a hamster. Did you see this? Where the hamster just randomly chose cryptocurrencies to invest in. And you should see this chart. The hamster, its rate of return is off the charts, oh, wow. right? And then underneath that, just a little bit under is Bitcoin. And then way down here is the stock exchange. And, mm -hmm. and uh, let's see, you got the Dow, you got NASDAQ, and then Berkshire Hathaway is <laughs> way down here. And I'm yeah. like, bro, is this hamster really a better investor than Warren Buffett? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. Uh, no, it, it, he seems like he's lived a very interesting life uh, for sure. And, yeah, he and, has. It, one statistic that he, um, that he, I remember distinctly from the book was uh, that if you had invested in the S&P 500, and maybe people know this already, it was a little bit of a shock to me, the impact of compounding returns, but mm. um, if you had invested in, I think it, I think this was in his 2015 letter, so it had been 40 years of Berkshire Hathaway, if you had invested $1,000 into Berkshire Hathaway, these numbers could be wrong, but I believe it's roughly right, $1,000 into Berkshire Hathaway, which had on average a 20% return for that period, um, versus the S&P 500 that had about a 10% return in that period, it would have been $1,000 in the S&P 500 would have been about 400 and something thousand dollars. And I was like, okay, so that's good. The difference between 10% and 20% compounding returns right. ended up with that $1,000 being worth like $97 million. What? After that period, and what year period. would you have had to invest that in I think cash it was, out? I think it was 65 to 15. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. I will just say this. Definitely listen to Warren Buffett's stock advice over over my stock advice because that is wow i don't have quite that uh successful of a track record yeah. that's for darn sure again i ask upstate new york guy his favorite book is gone with the wind gone with the wind yeah that's a that's a fascinating answer yeah. <laughs> now i've never read it i've seen the movie yeah and of course growing up in I've atlanta movie, everything yeah. was margaret mitchell this oh interesting yeah. yeah so right yeah um how did you get into that how did you even decide i'm gonna sit down and read this book uh, I was in high school. We had to read a book over the uh, over Christmas break, and I had thought that I had already read Gone with the Wind, so I thought it was a book that I already read, and so I selected <laughs> that one and I ordered it, and it you're got like, to my house, and I was like, "That is not that's what not I read." The book. Oh my <laughs> And I was like, "Oh gosh, I have two weeks to read this." Because that's a big book. It's like right? a thousand pages. Yeah. yeah. Was your teacher yeah. a stunned that you chose it, and b that you made it all the way through? I don't know if he was oh, or wasn't, whoa. but it was like it was a big book, yeah. and uh, and so I ended up starting to read it, 
and liked it and hmm. ended up reading the whole thing. And actually, for a long time, it was like one of my proudest accomplishments that I actually made it through a thousand pages of a book. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, which made it actually, that was probably why it was my favorite because it was like just at the end of it, I was like, Wow. Look what I've done. Look what I've I have done. accomplished I've, this. Yes. Like, do, did you end up having this appreciation for like the antebellum period in America or the Civil War, or was it just the book standalone for you? I loved the war parts of the book. Mm-hmm. I didn't love the middle section. is very much like a soap opera kind yeah. of. It's much more like lovey-dovey sort of stuff. And uh, and but the but the beginning, like the first three hundred pages and the end, last three hundred pages, great book. Middle part you could skip, but well, can't as, really. as long as we're talking about books that you know maybe you wouldn't on the surface think that you would like, yeah, uh, it's just so funny you, you kind of described it that way because you mentioned one of your son's name is Rhett, yeah. It, well, yeah. is yeah. oh, Rhett Rhett Butler, yeah. yeah. Is that where that comes from? <laughs> well, not really. Allie had it on her list of names that okay. she liked, and then I was like, oh. Rhett Butler is such an interesting character. Okay, that's what and, we gotta and, do. Yeah. and get this, yeah. Josh. That's not even where I was going. Yeah. I was going with Rory. Oh, interesting. Because there's a book called Captains and the Kings mm. that I would highly recommend. Mm. And there's a character in there named Rory. And I thought of him when I saw that was one of your son's names. Yeah, yeah. And it's similar in that, sure, there's some soap opera stuff in this book. Yeah. But it really helps you to look at the world we live in through a completely different lens. Captains and the Kings, go and read about Rory. Interesting. And, yeah. and see what you think. But anyway, so that's not where Rory, yeah. your Rory comes from. <laughs> that's not where our Rory okay, comes from. Okay. We're going with an R thing. But the third, if we have a third boy, it'll be, I don't know what the next name is. Because those are great names. Rhett, Rory, and... Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, it's in a Ronnie. Yeah, Ronnie, I don't know. Exactly. I mean, that's the only name I can think of with an R. Yeah. Okay, so explain why you've eaten so much spaghetti in your lifetime. Yeah, my uh, my mom, it's a well-known fact. I'm not getting in trouble by saying this. She uh, She is not the best cook. She doesn't like to cook. She doesn't cook very often. And when she does, it is some variation of extremely cooked chicken with some very like one seat like montreal steak seasoning on it uh-huh. or something or spaghetti and so those two things are what i ate a lot of and uh still to this day spaghetti is like i love spaghetti i mean it's like my comfort uh-huh. food it's like you know i but i have eaten a lot of spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's awesome yeah. ali's a much better cook ali's an amazing cook she cooks every night so i don't eat that much spaghetti anymore. <laughs> that's great okay so i asked the question you know what are what are some talents that you have that maybe people don't know. I mean, it sounds like you've just kind of uh, discovered or manufactured a talent with the maple syrup um, and that turned that into literally a business. Yeah. So what's this new thing you're involved with now? Are you able to discuss this this uh, new venture of yours? Yeah, of course. Because yeah. it has nothing to do with maple syrup. It has nothing syrup. to do with the maple syrup. I, I no, feel yeah. like after you explain to us the, <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the next – venture for josh parker i feel like you're going to be kind of the kind of guy well almost like a warren buffett where you're probably going to have your hand in so much stuff like no one's going to be able to look at you 30 40 years from now and go oh yeah he's the syrup guy yeah in other words i have a feeling and this is just my gut based on your drive and ambition and your passion that that you're going to have your hand in so much so many things that aren't even remotely connected to each yeah. other. Yeah, no, it really, it definitely, it's that, I have this, so this is one of my first times talking, this is definitely the first time publicly that I've talked about this, and uh, I haven't really told that many people that I'm doing this, because it's so weird, and, you know, it sort of is like, almost a little weird for people to place, 
Um, but anyway, so I last year in uh, April of last year, I started a company building fiber optic infrastructure. Uh, so putting fiber optic lines in the ground or in the air, connecting businesses and homes to each other. Mm. And, uh, and it's a, it's an extremely different business. Um, you know, one thing about the food business is people, it's an extremely glamorous business. People, I can go, you know, we're in Dallas right now. I can go into Sprouts, Walmart, uh, probably a handful of other stores and find our maple syrup. It's cool. You know, you, I got to go on Glen Beck. I got to go on Shark Tank. Got to do all these things, um, and that was great. But then you look inside of almost every food business, and believe me, I know a lot of food businesses, and almost none of them are making money. Mm. Almost every single one is losing money, and so the whole idea—it's—it's it's like a—it's almost like a tech stock. Like you're raising money from investors, growing your business, growing your brand. And the only way you make money is if you sell your business. I got very fortunate, sold the brand. Um, but when I started to think about after I had Parker Maple for so long, and that was my North Star, and I thought, what am I going to do next? I was really intrigued by businesses that made money every single month. They just generated cash flow. They were real good old-fashioned business that you could hold on to and build you know, forever. And, uh, and so my dad is in construction, like I said, and so there was a little bit of a connection there. I met a guy who was in the fiber optic space and, uh, he kind of, I started to go to some of his, his sites to see what it was like. And I was like, gosh, and I began to see some of his numbers of what he was doing. Hey, it's going to get built. I'll build it. Okay. So I failed to stipulate this on the email that I sent. I asked if you could go back in history and meet one person. I've got to Start telling people going in, you're not allowed to pick Jesus. <laughs> That's yeah. a great one. Yeah. I'm not arguing. I know, with I know. The it answer. is like when you asked it, it was like I thought of some people, but I was like, well, none of those people. Of course, I have to meet the Lord. Who right. I, you know, it's like, yeah, yes, absolutely, understand that. <laughs> yeah. But if uh, if you let's say you 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 got to meet Jesus and and mark that off of your list of historical people to go back and yeah. have a conversation with. Got to pick somebody else. Yeah. Who 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 would have been on this uh, on this answer if if not for Jesus Christ? Putting you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. Um, I think <laughs> I think I would probably want to meet either an American founding father or Thomas yeah. Aquinas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm gonna further put you on the spot. <laughs> Is there a founding father if you had to pick one that you would pick? Probably Jefferson. I think he'd be the most thoughtful. I'm telling you. <laughs> I would love to have beers with Jefferson on yeah. one side and Franklin on the other, yeah, huh? Exactly, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You have a very noble goal of raising virtuous kids, which is so important to yeah. this world, but so difficult in this world, huh? Yeah, it's super hard. We actually, um, so as I said, I went to a public school in upstate New York, and there used to be a small Catholic school um, in our town, but of course, like every other Catholic school, they're all closing. And so, um, we lost our only other option to public school. Um, and so we actually, we worked pretty hard with a group of parents to start a little classical school. Smart and, move. Uh, yeah, so we just uh, uh, just got started this year. Uh, this past September was the first year, 18 students, two teachers, wow. classical curriculum. Uh, really beautiful stuff. And so uh, we're trying to build that up and see if we can 
have enough growth with that to keep it going and um and yeah it's just, it's a scary place i mean like sure. especially in I, I don't know how it is in texas but in new york i mean you've got common core plus this just insane amount of like sex ed and all the stuff that they're doing it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a it's, tough environment for i don't envy young parents like yourself for all of the stuff that is thrown at kids these days yeah whether it's like you said whether it's the curriculum yeah. or the insanity of the gender stuff uh the social justice constantly being thrown at you but in a time of this covid mandates yeah, right. yes, yeah. and yeah. masks yeah. and are you vaccinated and yeah, all this exactly. stuff my gosh i just want to raise my kids yeah. to be decent people can you back off please yeah right yes. i can't imagine having to raise children these days that are that young and that impressionable that you are constantly having to be on guard i'm in a situation where my kids are all teenagers they were homeschooled yeah. and and you know they have a head on their shoulders and yeah. they can see this stuff coming but oh, your kids were homeschooled. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. We were we were going to homeschool. Well, we still might homeschool. End up, you know, depending on what happens at the school. But um, we were going to homeschool if this didn't work. Yeah. Out. Well, and, and see, there's things that that we take advantage of. Where in addition to the homeschooling curriculum, there are these co-ops similar mm-hmm. to what you're talking about yeah. for more extracurricular things like photography or ballet yes, or band yes, or yes. or stuff like yeah. that, uh, theater. Yes. Um. So there are so many options out there. At least in my neck of the woods and and hopefully in yours as well but you are definitely on the right track of finding like-minded parents how many parents are part of this co-op you're talking about we have 18 students right now okay 18 students see yeah look at that k through four and and by the way if you're considering homeschooling your kids and uh the best comeback that somebody that thinks you shouldn't be doing that is that you're worried about their socialization exactly yeah uh yeah I don't want them socializing with people <laughs> that I have seen in some of these schools, okay? Yeah, yeah. That's half of the battle. Thank yeah, you very right, much. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And actually, I have to say I grew up with a similar impression that I thought that homeschooling was child abuse because the kids <laughs> that I met were so awkward and painfully awkward right. that I was like, Oof, this is not good. And uh, but now, now, now do you look at it the other way? Now, Public school yeah, is exactly. child abuse? Yeah, it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. But um, now I've met so many people who you would never know that they were homeschooled in a, you know, in the sense that I was just talking about yeah. and being weird. Or well, that's how like it was that. when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 You know, like, like they were the quiet ones, the yeah. pale ones, yeah. the ones <laughs> in pioneer clothing, yeah. you know, exactly. It's absolutely not the case at it's all. Not. It's not. No. Yeah. And, and if you're listening to this and you can um, homeschool, it's, it's going to start off tough. But it's ultimately very, very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people had an interesting taste of that during COVID too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. and the numbers actually show that the kids aren't going back in many cases. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing a chart of Wisconsin homeschooling numbers went through the roof. Yeah. You know. Yes. And and, yeah. and so it's. Uh, I think that is one of the unintended consequences on the plus side. There's very few yeah, yeah, from yeah. COVID yes. and the lockdowns and yeah. stuff that yeah. that could ultimately be helpful. Uh, in the long term, I don't know that we're ever going to get to the point where the negatives from the lockdowns and the mandates and stuff yes. are going to be outweighed by the good things that, that snuck through. But yeah, yeah. that is one of them. Yeah. Uh, one of your favorite apps is the Wall Street Journal app. That's yeah. a, I mean, that is a Josh Parker answer. Right? That's so cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you uh, you read that on a regular basis, huh? Yeah. I started reading it when I was um, 
17, I think, I started wow. reading it. And I had a really hard time for a while understanding it and, <laughs> you know, like knowing all, <laughs> enough things about the world to be able to like make right. sense of anything they were saying. Um, but over time, I, you know, it's been a... It's been did a did the kids in high school know that you were reading articles in the Wall Street Journal? Probably not. I <laughs> yeah, no, probably See, not. when I was a kid, yeah. you couldn't get away with reading stuff like that without everybody knowing what you were doing. Yeah. See, at least it's on your phone and they probably have yeah. no clue. But yeah, uh, right, yeah. I, I just... But they thought I was weird nonetheless, so yeah. it, didn't, it didn't really matter that much. Right, because yep. see, in my library, we would get the USA Today, and we all would go to the sports section first, mm -hmm. the red section of the USA Today. But, I mean, I read a little bit in the green section, the money section a little yeah. bit, but you know, you don't want to... You look around, make sure that your friends aren't around. Wait, what's he doing over there? Now, I didn't, I'm like you, I didn't understand what I was reading, and obviously yeah. it didn't stick the way yeah. it has with you. But uh, well, I don't know, yeah. Anyway, that's fun. That's fun. Okay. The website is parkersmaple.com. 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 You have not had Parker's Maple syrup. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is not a commercial. This yeah. is not because he's sitting in front of me. Yeah. I'm telling you, it is so good. And I think you. I can't remember if you suggested it. Somebody suggested um, mix it with uh, pancake batter, right? Oh, or, interesting. Or, or yeah, waffle batter or something. Yeah, you could do that. Because yeah. we've done both. Yeah. We've done. Oh, really? So it wasn't you. It wasn't me, no. Okay. So we actually put your Parker's maple syrup in the batter oh, wow. for both um, the pancakes cool themselves idea. and the waffles. I can't remember. If it was Carrie, I'm sorry, dear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so somebody came up with this yeah, idea, right, yeah, yeah. and it and it's yeah. so good. So oh my you gosh, gotta yeah. try that. Yeah. yeah, and you're gonna let us know on the fiber optic stuff. Yeah, what, see or, how it goes. Yeah. yeah, I can tell you where I live out in the boonies. Um, we need you to run a line out there for yeah. us, please. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Anything that I've forgotten that we need to cover? No, I don't think so. All right. That's good. Josh Parker, thanks for stopping by and being a part of uh, at the mic. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. I think we can agree that Josh Parker is someone to keep an eye on going forward. He does not seem like the kind of guy who's ever going to take a real break from trying to make something happen. I just love his energy, and he's just such a, a very genuine guy. Hey, I want to take the opportunity to ask you uh, to please rate and review this podcast. Uh, we'd be so grateful if you would do that. Uh, please share at themikeshow.com, just an easy website link that you can send out to your family and friends. Help new people discover this show. That's always appreciated. Also appreciated, if you wouldn't mind, just taking a peek over at atthemikeshop.com. We've got merchandise offerings over there as well. Next week, we're going to sit down for a conversation with my friend Zeynep Yenisei. She's a magazine writer, and she has an amazing experience to share that may save someone you love from some heartache and trouble. And uh, she also has some thoughts about the sinking of the Titanic. Like, did it ever sink at all? Oh, that's next week on At The Mic. Hmm. Well, until then, please go be free, and thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.